All right. Okay. All right. So, uh, topic today addressing structural racism in implementation. And whenever we have these types of discussions, it's super important to be able to talk about one's own positionality. And I'm going to talk about mine since I'm moderating today. Um, so I am a gay woman with uh, lived experience of mental illness. Um, but the most important aspect of my identity that I need to talk about is I am white. And so while I've experienced various forms of discrimination based on some of my identities, I need to acknowledge that it's a privilege that I never have to experience racism. And I want to acknowledge that the territory on which Boston University stands is that of the Wampanoag and the Massachusetts people. EU's campuses are places to honor and respect the history and continued efforts of the native and indigenous communities in Eastern Mass. And if you're not familiar with land acknowledgements, <clears throat> um, I thought it'd be helpful to just read a bit from uh, the uh, yeah, Duwamish tribe. Uh, they're a tribe in the Seattle area and they have a great website and they um, have a whole page about land acknowledgements and I wanted to quote directly from them um, explaining. So they say, it's important to note that this kind of acknowledgement is not a new practice developed by colonial institutions. Land acknowledgement is a traditional custom dating back centuries for many native communities and nations. For non-indigenous communities, land acknowledgement is a powerful way of showing respect and honoring the indigenous peoples of the land on which we work and live. Acknowledgement is a simple way of resisting the erasure of indigenous histories and working towards honoring and inviting the truth. And I love that phrase, inviting the truth. And I think it's, it's a good phrase to kind of bring us into our agenda and, and the hard work we have today. And you'll see the majority of the time we're gonna really talk about um, trying to identify specific action steps or policy changes that we can make to current implementation strategies to start dismantling some of the uh, structural and institutional forms of racism and, and other forms of oppression that exist. And then uh, near the end, uh, whenever I run a meeting, I always include this agenda item and really step back and say, okay, who's, whose voices aren't here? Who's not invited to the table? Who's, um, what, we need to identify who's, who's missing from this discussion so that we can figure out uh, next steps and how, how to include more voices. So um, I sent a link to this article by, by Bronson and, and his colleagues um, he's talking about increasing or having a higher priority of addressing um, equity in implementation science. So I thought what we would do is just go one by one. There's, there's 10 altogether. We just go one by one and we will um, open it up to, to feedback about specific action steps and strategies for each, for each item. And we decided to have, um, if, do you all know how to raise your hand on Zoom? On the bottom of your screen, if you click on reaction, there's there's a hand. If you click on the hand, raise your hand if you want to um, if you want to give an answer or uh, have a comment or question. And my colleague Melody is going to be watching for the, the hand raising, and she will call on people in order. So, uh, any ideas from anyone about how you um, link social determinants with health outcomes? 
in implementation. Have you done it in the past or how you're considering doing it? <clears throat> Yikes. Okay, so, so. Lisa. Yeah, um, I'm trying to raise my hand. Oh, here we go. <laughs> okay, I raised my hand. I, I mean, I think perhaps the silence is a little bit like, because it's such a big topic um, and, you know, social determinants with health outcomes and implementation. So I'm thinking, okay, we're not talking, are we, we're, we're talking at the, at the person level, um, health outcomes. I, I just, it, it, I feel like I need a little more focus. Yeah, to... yeah. And, and so Lisa, you make a great point. So obviously it's, it's very complex. So, you know, yeah, interpersonal level, institutional level, societal level, um, <clears throat> and even uh, intrapersonal level. So um, it, it all, it all, uh, it all affects um, health outcomes. So you don't have to, um, so you can just pick one, one area and say, all right, um, when I'm studying, when I'm studying uh, these employment interventions, um, I, how do you, know, how do you um, <clears throat> when you're writing up the data, do you link specific outcomes to racism? That makes sense. And Marianne, I believe you were next. Yeah, I think I probably, you just answered my question, um, Gretchen. I wasn't sure if we're talking here about linking social determinants within the context of doing a study on implementation science or in the context of conducting the activity of implementation by, you know, by itself. And it sounds like you're saying, you're saying this item relative to the, to the act of researching, correct? It's, it's, um, it's all of that. It's, it's any, all of it, Yes. All and well, any of the above. Right. Becca? Yeah. Yeah, so in answer to the, the question that you'd asked just before I raised my hand, I think that being able to link your outcomes to social determinants really depends on how you build it into the research design and asking the questions in the first place, right? So maybe the linking social determinants with health, health outcomes is one of those considerations that we should have when we are setting up the the um the study to begin with right yep when yes when you're when you're writing the grant application yep great Taku? yes thanks so i i really appreciate this uh, both presentation gretchen thank you for the way in which you opened it as well as these action steps i think that just to give one example, you know, our colleague who's on on here, Joe Maroney, one of the who was one of the first people I saw making a direct link between health outcomes and social determinants such as poverty, and the and the complete disregard of that in our 
mental health system. And I was just so grateful for that and, you know, kind of rushed to, to you know, kind of learn more <laughs> from what Joe was kind of doing in that regard and um, was so grateful for it. And I think in that same time, there was also a person in New York, her name is Ethel Davis Chambers, who was our one of our advocates uh, around cultural competence in New York State. And she said, Chaku, you know, we need to also look at the number of people of color who are getting employment outcomes, because I'm concerned that if you just looked at all the caseloads of people, and this is, she's talking to me in 1990 right now, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, <laughs> so uh, we look at all the people who are on the caseloads of people getting referred to support and employment. Um, and then moving on, when we went to 98 and then 2000 and then 2010, it just seemed, seemed to still be the same group of people and none of them were people of color who were more likely to be um, getting employment outcomes. Yet, I didn't see a lot of priority for researching that or prioritizing that. So that's the link I see as one example of, of, of an area from a scaling up perspective, whether both implementation and research, we could be doing more about. And did that answer your question? Is that kind of what you're yes. getting at? You, okay. win, you win for item number one. Oh, I win. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, all right. So should we move on to the second one? I, I wanted to say something. I'll raise my own hand. I mean, calling myself. Yep. Um, and I think that one of the things that's important with the linking to social determinants is that that can happen without linking, um, that, that we're by the, the absence of um, uh, intentionality um, in, in the inclusion is um, uh, linking the social determinants with health outcomes. And, and that, that kind of speaks to what Chaku was saying in terms of, you know, that if you're not looking at, um, if you're not looking at it, you're kind of missing the opportunity or uh, leaving people out. Um, and I see that Susan has her hand up now. Great. Uh, great. Um, I just want to follow up on some of what I think Lisa was trying to say and Marianne and making sure you, you, I, my understanding of this call is that we were called together as part of the advisory group to give our ideas about how to, um, ways that we might be able to assess impact of structural racism within this project. And so using that lens, what I would encourage is, uh, what I think I sent an overview around um, to the group at the end of January saying, you know, the site has, the. The project has ways of measuring fidelity. Uh, were the high fidelity implementations more likely to be occurring in the whiter settings, the wealthier settings? Um, and were uh, access by various uh, racial ethnic groups proportional to what they were within the setting? You know, the clinic, whatever, uh, or depressed from that. So these are really basic measures of what um, was, was keeping people from being there. And I would just hope that um, you know the efforts of looking 
or what theoretically might be possible uh, remain hinged to what the study will have data for and making sure um, that if there are racial disparities in access at a given site, that while the study is live, you can go back to that site, feed back the data, point it out and say, you know, what are you doing about this? And that's part of what can be learned from this project too, because it, it's, it's the, how you capitalize on the variations in implementation that you're seeing across site to help inform future sites about how to attend to these barriers. So let's, let's um, move on to the second um, item, which is uh, building equity into all policies. So I would see this as, you know, the, the policies that, uh, so the policies that um, are applicable would be, um, you know, we as, as the trainers, as the, the implementers, as the researchers, the policies that we're driven by, um, you know, within the study and then with, you know, within our workplace in general. So what are some examples of um, policies that, that um, promote equity? In the, in this paper, uh, they, they give examples of, you know, doing workplace climate assessments, you know, evaluations, that sort of thing. Um, assessing staff for their, um, their perception of, you know, is racism, uh, how is racism present here, um, and other forms of oppression. Is that, um, you can see how that would be relevant to ultimately affecting the work of the, this project? Haku? Oh, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I'll just take a turn. It looks like there's a number of ideas here. So I mean, one might be just having a policy for a racial equity impact assessment as part of the you know, implementation process um, is one way to think about it. Um, a lot of those other policies you just mentioned, Gretchen, could be um, a part of that as well. Um, so essentially recognizing in each aspect of implementation or the scaling, is there a racial equity impact is the question, right? That's, that's being asked. And if not, what needs to happen in order to, to do that, whether it's representation or whether it's participation or involvement, as well as, um, you know, metrics and some of the things you're leading to. Thank you. I'm going to assume that those of you who unraised your hands did so on purpose. Um, Marianne? Yeah, I just want to uh, clarify the conversation um, because I'm a little confused myself. So Susan, you were talking about um, speaking as an advisory council member for this particular project. And while that of course is relevant and, and important, I was also personally interested in sort of the wider question as well which is how are we doing this in implementation science in general? Because I think some of what is occurring in our specific project may or may not be reflected in other implementation science projects. As I have to say, um, with some degree of 
reticence, I guess, that I have personally not been involved in a lot of implementation projects in which equity and race were front and center. It just, did, I haven't had that experience. So for me, a lot of this is learning, obviously, as I read and um, listen. So I'm as in, I guess I'm saying I, uh, um, relative to this project, am as interested in hearing what has happened in projects that you all have been involved in that might give us some ideas as I am about specific um, recommendations for this one project, but that's just me. You know, other people may be more steeped in this than I personally am. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to say that, Gretchen. No, this, I, I, I'm happy to make a stab at that. Um, and I would use as an example, the common finding that people who are black are less likely to follow up with an appointment after, dis, after a psychiatric hospitalization than people who are white. And I think an old way of talking about that had very much to blame the person, blame the patient aspect to it. And a way to flip that around is saying, there are no doubt individual characteristics. There's also staff potentially characteristics as well as the larger structural issue characteristics that could be underpinning that finding. And the parallel for this study would be, wow, it's gonna be very interesting to see the rates at which say blacks and whites get assigned a supported employment person, participate with that person and get a job. And what the fall off in that along the way, if that varies by race, what are the ways that are other than blame the person that might account for that? Got it. Thanks. Um, Gretchen, do you mind if I ask somebody else just what they think about that? I was wondering if Kim and Susan had a thought about what Susan is saying. Sure. Is that all right or are, am I interfering in the process? I, I, uh, let's ask Melody because she's keeping track of who's Okay. Right. Yeah, we can we can circle back to that certainly, um, Joe. Yeah, uh, just just in terms of the um, kind of concrete. One thing I I have to say just as a general uh, premise in, in implementing anything is equity is you know has become the 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 word du jour. You know, you could define it. I think one of the problems of implementation in policies or anything is that. It doesn't mean much to the world at large. So when you try to get people to do something, they say, well, what do you want to do? What does that mean? You know, but in the real world. So, I, but a concrete example, and then I'll tell you sort of one of the problematic in terms of, um, you know, more rehabby implementation of a policy. I, I was working with an IPS grant in Washington state and we actually devoted some funds, particularly working with tribal members to say, how does this play out? in terms of tribal culture. And, and obviously, you know, similar as you folks know, one tribe is not the same as another tribe, you know, so even though you talk about, so that was a very concrete way of saying, let's try to get to a group that often doesn't get a lot of information about IPS. Now you take it to public policy, I'll give you an example from Oregon that's caused all kinds of brouhaha. They use part of their small mm -hmm. development um, 
you know, the, the um, stimulus funds to particularly um, provide uh, small business protections for uh, uh, African-American and Hispanic minority groups. And you can imagine the kind of suits that, <laughs> that came up from other small businesses, including from Native American, for example, small business owners. So you get into that kind of issue when you get into public policy. But in terms of kind of research stuff, I think part of the issue is, is um, I think you need to, well, let me say an implementation stuff. I think you need to be specific about what are you trying to do? You're trying to, uh, you know, affect impacts on people with who are African-American and people who are Hispanic on any group that's, mm -hmm. that's disadvantaged. Because I think by just using the word equity, it kind of, it plays well in academia, but it, to my mind, it doesn't play well in terms of actual implementation efforts. Yeah, and that's why in that document that I sent, I think to everyone last week, I, I divided, uh, I, I um, cited Dr. Kamara Jones and, and right. you know, talked about um, being able to name racism, to be able to say, how is it operating right. here, and then strategizing and acting, because um, that's very concrete and very specific, and, um, and, it, and it focuses on on the problem, not the, not not people who, you know, right. Like Susan. Yeah, I think that was actually just a. I th I think that stuff, you know, with the little left and right hand, was much more um, thoughtful than the Browns, uh, the the Brownson stuff. I thought was pretty prosaic. It wasn't very specific. It didn't, you know, social determinants are linked with health. That's why they're called social determinants of health. So to say, link social determinants with health is a is a you know it's a tautology to some extent so uh but anyway that's that's kind of my thing yeah but I, I will say but there's plenty of of data out there that shows that racism kills so so it is linked right but that racism as, as social determinants of health and how it how it's affected by race gender that's different than saying lick social determinants with health because social determinants all by definition they're linked with health Anyway, that's kind of my take on the English. <laughs> so, uh, Gretchen, this is John. I'm I'm sorry I can't get the reaction thing to work, but you know, going back to Marianne's comment and what Joe was saying, I'm wondering if there's a step even before all these steps, and, and that's a, a step of awareness and education, and creating starting a dialogue, um, you know, with with the the steady participant sites around this, this entire issue and why it's important and, you know, what you're looking for. What do people think of that? I'll just, I'll just, I don't know yeah. if, I'm, if I'll take yeah, it. So whoever's next, I'll just go after you. You can go ahead, Chaku, and then we'll go back to Marianne. Okay, yeah, so I, I, I definitely agree with John and, and Joe's comments, you know, that there's a consciousness raising process that's part of this. Um, racism is a social determinant of health is kind of what I think I hear Gretchen um, trying to express and Joe kind of trying to say, look, we need to get more concrete about how that's a, um, acknowledged and addressed. One of the comments I just wanted to make was about, I'm glad you brought up Dr. Jones' work Part of what's important about her definitions of health equity is that she talks about it as the assurance of conditions that create 
outcomes, health outcomes. So part of what that means is that social um, determinants of health, you know, racial equity outcomes, it's both, both an outcome and a process. So the policies need to be about both about the impact on the inequities that you've identified. So a first step is identify the inequities that exist, race, racial inequities in particular, and then have a plan to chase that down somehow, but then also have policies that assure conditions are going to um, both eliminate those inequities, but also sustain the growth of equity, right? And, and what that, and a discovery of what that looks like. So there's, you know, I think there's more to say about that, but I think I wanted to emphasize that point because there's a lot of talk about racial equity as an outcome when it comes down to metrics and some of those um, kind of all, uh, um, you know, all populations get having equitable health outcomes um, or, you know, in some way, but there's also policies that make that happen. Thank you. Um, Mary Ann. Uh, I, I didn't, I had my hand up from before. I was just wondering what Susan and Kim thought of um, what Susan Essex was suggesting or actually it was a couple, a couple comments ago. So I I'm, might be um, forgetting it, but this issue about the whether high fidelity items are more responded to by different groups. I wonder if there's been any information about TSW related to high fidelity, low fidelity and um, demographics at all. Um, th thanks for asking, uh, Marianne. Yes, yeah, Susan and I have been conferring a little bit about it. And I also want to thank you, Susan uh, Essek. I can't see you, but I can still thank you for, for bringing this up because I do think, you know, in contrast to Marianne, I have some interest in what's happening in implementation science, but I, I am, I'm especially interested in, well, what can we do to really understand uh, this better in, in the context of this particular implementation study? And, and, um, and Susan, you gave a, a, a couple of suggestions that I think are both uh, really interesting and very good concrete ways of, of going and exploring, you know, uh, um, uh, within the context of the implementation of thinking skills for, for work across these multiple sites in, in Georgia. Um, we aren't aware, I'm not aware of anybody that has looked at like fidelity, um, uh, how, how the implementation of a, of, a, of a program, the quality of the implementation uh, might differ as a function of say, you know, the uh, a proportion of uh, African-Americans or, or, or other races within a sample, um, or for that matter, looking at the, uh, whether the in, enrollment in, um, in services is, is proportionate to um, the, um, uh, the population uh, served. And I think that those are, are good, uh, really concrete uh, examples of, of, of metrics that we could really uh, uh, measure in this study. Um, another point had come up in terms of talking with people in terms of the policies. I, I find it much more difficult to uh, conceptualize right now at, at, this, at this stage, how we would engage um, partners down in Georgia in a discussion about um, the uh, you know, policies and, and, and equity in, in, in policies partly because we have a huge amount on our plate right now in terms of just getting um, this, this program kind of off the ground. And second of all, I would like to have a, like a better idea of where that dialogue might go um, uh, in order to, you know, to be fruitful. 
Thanks for that, Kim. Um, before I hand this to Lisa, I just want to mention if y'all can unraise your hand um, so that when, when after you've spoken, it would help me know when you have a new thought. Um, and so I don't <clears throat> yeah, ignore you when I should be tending to you. Um, Lisa? Sure. Um, can you, you can hear me now, right? Okay. Yes. Um, yeah. I, for me, I have to really think concretely like uh, around a particular study because I, I, these sort of general, the generalizations are hard for me to kind of um, be as a starting point. So I, and I, and Chaco knows all, you know, he, we both have been a part of implementing, um, developing and implementing interventions within OnTrack within our early psychosis program. And, you know, so, um, I mean, it starts, I, I don't, I don't remember who said it, but someone said, you know, um, getting, getting, um, input from all stakeholders, right? So, um, trying to understand what, you know, how, I mean, if you're like cognitive remediation or, or suicide prevention or early identification, like what does that even mean to people um, who may be those who are um, uh, being, you know, who, who, who are supposedly going to be the recipients of these services and to the clinicians. So, it, you know, and then, you know, making sure that, or at least having some process of of, I guess, generating, I mean, it doesn't have to be agreement, but there has to be understanding. And then, I mean, so it's like, I don't know, this is all seems very basic at this point, you know, it's not, it's, 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 um, and, and a sort of checking with the different stakeholders around the different pieces of your research, you know, the intervention, the measurement, um, how, you know, how and if the, what you're learning will be fed back into, you know, improvement and, um, I mean, I, I, I think um, it, anyway, so the, I, 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 in some ways it's, it's implementation, good implementation science studies do a lot of these things anyway, because that's, you know, it, it, and, and as long, and I think that what I see different now is whereas, you know, it might be, the, the focus might be on like staffing or, you know, how much something costs or skills, you know, now, you know, clearly we're, we're, we're much more paying attention to issues of racism and, 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 and discrimination and, and, and cultural, um, uh, uh, you know, con consonants, if not competence. Um, so, but it's, it's the same basic principles. And then you just, you know, you have to apply it to the sort of the power structures within the team too. So anyway, that, that's, um, uh, but, but, but the devil's in the details of the individual study and what the, the particulars of that particular, of the, of the, um, of the, the study, you know, what you're studying and how it, how it may or may not relate to issues of racism. Thank you. All right, so let's um, move on to um, using equity relevant metrics. So uh, one of the one of the articles that I cited in that document I sent you last week, I thought it was a really interesting, um, interesting way to assess racism. And it was it's the Woodward article and she and her colleagues studied um, uh, equity in the context of um, black veterans receiving 
receiving care for hepatitis C. And you know what? And so what they did to measure it was simply ask black veterans, did you experience racism? Did you perceive racism or bias while you were receiving this care? So it's, it can be as simple as that. It doesn't have to be this answer. Any other ideas about how, how to assess equity? So that was very, very specifically looking at staff. I didn't, I didn't uh, read that study, Gretchen. Can you say how did that turn out for them? Did they actually collect that information? Or yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they did, and, it, and it's, um, it, it's interesting because what they found was that some of the veterans, uh, when they were asked, "Did you experience racism?" they said no. But when they further asked specific um, questions in the in the qualitative analysis, they found that actually yes. They did. They didn't. They didn't call it racism, but the way they were describing, oh, that that I think that doctor was treating me differently because I'm black or because I um, I have used drugs in the past, that sort of thing. So so it is. I mean, it is very complex, and um, and so it's and so in that. But that study I thought was super interesting. Um, well, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, I, I, I am interested in that. That's an example of a study that wanted to lean into the qualitative experience of what would be considered kind of individually mediated racism experiences, not necessarily their observation of a policy well, um, experience, right? Or did that? Oh, no, actually, it's a, it's a specific article about um, uh, they threw out a, a new framework for health equity implementation. I see. Uh -huh. I'll have to check it out. Well, I mean, yeah, the, what came to mind as you were talking was about this. Um, uh, oh, now I just lost it because I because I I want to I want to. I'll come back. Let me come back. I mean, that thought will come back to me soon. I promise. Just let us know. Oh, oh, of course, I got it now. Sorry, someone <laughs> just screamed at me. All right, so here it is. There it is. Uh, a metric, for example, that um, that I have raised, you know, for a long time personally, and advocates have is, is involuntary outpatient commitment. All right, so this has a disproportionate, clear, uh, you know, inequity in terms of who it impacts. In New York alone, black and brown are more immediately across every region, not just New York City, um, the ones that are in IOC. Um, same is true in other states, Washington, otherwise, you know, I've seen these things. So I guess in terms of its interaction with the rest of the systemic policies, you know, the one pushback the research community did, and Lisa knows I did a presentation about this, was that it, it even got published in Health Affairs, was some of our colleagues said, well, those aren't really disparities because, um, you know, we're actually maybe helping people get get, you know, from hospitalization into community, you know, and, you know, who might otherwise have, have, uh, you know, been lost to the system, you know, so they, they redefined disparities based on a racist attitude about the population. Yeah. Uh, so the existence of a racist policy, um, you know, such as IOC, um, perpetuates these kind of, uh, it becomes one of those um, examples of the fence on the, on the cliff, you know, that somehow somebody thinks that's a fence to keep people from falling off the cliff when it's producing, actually increasing the number of people falling off the cliff. 
That's very interesting. Um, let's see, I just raised my own hand, so I'll go by the rules. I One of the things that I think of when I look at the um, equity relevant metrics, uh, when, we, when we look at um, uh, the trans or non-cis um, identified genders and if doing a basic demographic um, uh, identification of people only includes male and female as options, um, it's by the absence again of, um, of, of, the, of naming the options or having the door open for options, not even an other. Um, we, 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 you know, circumvent people's, we, we give a message that we really don't want you to identify. Um, and that may not be our intention. We might be just using an old form is how we um, soothe ourselves. Um, and instead of saying, okay, we do want to make sure that uh, the metrics are um, inclusive and that, uh, that we approach that um, uh, hopefully by, you know, learning from our colleagues in other fields um, and other specialties to increase the um, the the increase the options for people through which people identify um, on on whatever uh, area of their lives that happens. Um, Chaku and then um, uh, Kim or Susan. Well, yeah, and I'll I'll just. Mine is more of a question now. I mean, so one of the implications of this is, and as other people have talked about, might be, you know, and I noticed that we're not talking about racial equity in this in this action step. It's kind of just equity. I keep talking about racial equity because I think that needs to be isolated and kind of uh, prioritized. But the equity relevant metrics requires a prioritization um, at some point. Um, and so, you know, in an intersectional kind of, uh, sense that gets complicated. I don't know how that's accomplished. So I, you know, when I hear Kim, for example, talking about, I'm not sure how we're going to do this in Georgia. Part of that's the part of that is the challenge of engaging people who don't want necessarily prioritize a um, a population that matters less to them. So I'm, I mean, I don't know if the Kim, if that's where part of what you've seen happening, but I'm just interested in that as well. Um, Kim, Susan, I'm not sure who raised their hand. I did, and then I think Kim wants to say something. So I just, I, I just want to be very concrete here and take advantage of our of the people on on this discussion and how we're gonna how we can apply these issues or or assess or collect information about these issues in this project, which is really heating up right now. So, for example, how how do we know if there's a lack of equity in who's getting, who's enrolled in, 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 in the caseloads of the people, that, of the employment specialists that we're, we're training right now. And then for the people they choose to um, deliver uh, thinking skills for work, how do we assess if there's equity in, in who's being chosen? Um, I, I really would, would like us to, if we can kind of figure that out. And something Susan said was really interesting to me about the difference between black and white and follow-up from discharge. So I'm trying to think how, 
So if someone comes to an appointment or two and doesn't come back, do we, or should we really look at race and, and is there a different set of, of follow-up procedures we might consider or, or not? I, um, I'm, I have more questions than answers <laughs> and I wanna take advantage of our advisory council on this, uh, on this issue. Did you want to say something? No, because I think why don't we get feedback on that? Susan. Well, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Susan. Yeah. I I I really think if uh, if you look site by site and know the demographics of the center or the you know, larger program the place is operating within and use that as your expected distribution and then observed are who's actually invited to participate, who's actually participating, who stays with it, that drop-off, uh, you won't know the reason for the drop-off but you'll know whether race uh, was a predictor of drop-off. And then if it is, I think I'm at each one of those points, it's not gonna be a one factor thing. So it could be, you can imagine some interpersonal, some uh, within the center and more, community more broadly issues that could be making that be the case. And so that's where if you have an opportunity to debrief clients, I don't, I don't remember how the data collection works. If somebody blows off the service, are you still interviewing them? If you are, you know, that's, that's a great window. As is some problem solving about Oh, for anybody who missed some and comes back, strategizing with them about what would what would make it, oh, you know, what would help you be here next time? You know, am I not being valuable enough to you? Is it that the buses don't run? You know, what are the, the the barriers? And hearing from the individual, but I think it's it's that's twofold. One is very quantitative, just being able to model the drop off by race, and then the other is quite qualitative, and it tunes what questions you would ask as you're debriefing people. Well, one thing we just want to one limitation is that we are not collecting. Um, um, we're not collecting very, you know, very much um, client-centered uh, uh, data. You know, we're, we're collecting involvement in uh, the TSW program, completed sessions, um, and work outcomes, but we're not actually doing any direct uh, client interviews. So we can, so doing a, a um, uh, doing a, like a kind of a post, you know, hot, a debriefing kind of interview is difficult because we don't actually have direct access to the clients. We can do things like look at the, uh, you know, the, um, you know, proportion of African Americans, you know, versus whites at the, at the different um, centers, and look at the relationship between both fidelity 
as well as enrollment of participants in TSW, as well as retention um, and, uh, and work outcomes. We can look at all those things. But I, I just want to interject one other issue, and that is the client really in this developmental project is the trainee. So I was also wondering about equity and who gets to be the trainee. I mean, I, I realize this is really tricky and agency level. And by the way, Susan, I appreciate all your responses and I really I really value them. Thank you. And, and the other thing about that, Susan, is that um, we, we could uh, potentially ask the trainees to assess us on our ability to provide, you know, how, did you experience racism or, you know, that's um, one thing about starting to address structural racism is uh, assessing the structure. And, and so we're, we're part of the structure. And so I just, I want to throw that out there as, as just another um, really important thing to consider. And so it is actually time to move on to our next agenda item. I know we could, I, this is an awesome discussion. I'm, uh, I'm sure we could go on for, for hours, um, but I did wanna um, just read a quote from, from Dr. Jones um, before we talk about identifying missing perspectives. She says that in evaluating these mechanisms of racism, we need to be especially attentive to absence of who is at the table and who is not what is on the agenda and what is not. And when we note absence of, we need to take action to fill the gaps. We need to become vigilant in identifying and addressing inaction in the face of need. So with that, I'm gonna open it up and um, just wanna get some discussion going about who, who's not here, who wasn't invited, who, whose uh, voice do we need to work on adding to this discussion? Marianne. Yeah, uh, this is, uh, Gretchen, not a direct response but um, to what you're saying, but I'm, I'm trying to process all the conversation, including the missing voices. And as Susan McGurk mentioned, the focus of this particular effort is it's a developmental project to create a quicker way of moving a new intervention from bench to practice. That's the essential focus, which is why it's really focused on the agency and the trainees and the state more than on the client outcome per se. Um, but it occurs to me that maybe what we're talking about in terms of this specific study is really um, information that should be included in an implementation approach you know, in the sense that we're going to be writing a handbook of some kind at the end of this. Um, and maybe part of what we include or part of what we need to be vigilant about is asking is, is how an implementation approach, such as the one that we're promoting here needs to, for example, identify the missing perspectives and voices, establish uh, equity, related metrics. And maybe the characteristics that we're describing here are part of what we have to figure out um, how to integrate in our description of what, uh, of what this approach should be. At any rate, I just am offering that in terms of my musings at this point in the conversation. 
Thank you. Um, Chaku. Uh, yeah, so I'll just I'll just say, first of all, Marianne, I thought that was great. And that's an example of kind of what I think Dr. Jones intended when we in that discussion of the assurance of conditions. So that if we focused on the processes, that's actually more aligned with the implementation science process. So there's there are processes that are actually going to um, reverse inequities that are actually going to be like going in a different direction. Then and and to call into question what are more, you know, default status or natural kind of ways of doing things um, from an implementation perspective. So anyway, that, that just having said that, I just wanted to appreciate that, and I also uh, loved this discussion. So I think just immediately, I don't I don't really know who's at the table to be honest. So I think that's what's hard for me to an answer this question. But um, again, I I'm I'm going to emphasize racial equity as a I, I believe. Other areas of intersectionality will show up as a priority um, if we isolate and prioritize uh, racial equity and racism as, a, as one of the places to begin. Um, so in that sense, I would say making sure that black indigenous people of color representation is part of it. And you know something Susan said was really important, which is recognizing that even if you recognize race as a predictor of disengagement or any of the other factors, you need to make sure we're linking that to the other factors as well, not just dismissing race because other factors happen. So there's kind of a um, intersectional um, grouping that's far beyond um, an individual kind of notion of, of, uh, of race as a factor. So uh, Melanie Wall with Lisa and others have been doing some great work in that area. I just want to, you know, I think Lisa, that's one example of kind of rethinking how our groupings of studies and the people we're actually trying to, from a population perspective, it's not, you know, so for example, is it, is it not just the racial uh, indicator or the racialized kind of population, but also um, the connection to uh, poverty and other social determinants? Anyway, that's what I would say. Right, and I think it, it's, it's super important to highlight that all of the social determinants that you just listed are affected by racism. So, um, it, you know, and, and just really highlighting the, the call for, instead of saying uh, race is a vulnerability, the vulnerability is not the person's skin color, the vulnerability is the racism they, they experience daily. And that, um, you know, it's just one really important thing that um, we need to start doing uh, in terms of addressing structural racism. I think another way to, to, to think about this, um, so in particularly in, in this project um, is we can pretty easily um, get the, the data for uh, what kind of representation um, is there in the trainees um, across race? I mean, we can cut it and slice it a number of ways, but but across race and um, does that reflect the 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 people being served at that particular agency? Um, uh, and um, for the implementation team, which focuses more on leadership, and then that begins to get a bit more telling. So as you kind of go up the food chain as it were. Um, and, you know, is, does the leadership also represent the, the people who are being served? Um, 
And, and then because of the uh, focus of this project, are people receiving services part of the implementation team? We didn't, that's not set as a, um, a specific membership criteria, but I've been involved with a number of implementation projects where that was a, that was a requirement, you know, that the, the voice of people being served are part of the implementation team because otherwise it's being done to them, not with them or done to me and not with me. And, um, and so it becomes, when we really practice our principles, um, we can make a lot of progress. Um, just, there are no other hands raised right now. Thanks. Well said, Melody. All right, so I, I, you know, we only have a couple minutes left. So I just want to read this last slide as we talk about potential next steps. Um, so Hassan and her colleagues talk about the importance of an increasing accountability, transparency, and monitoring with mandated targets and actions on organizational, community, policy, individual, and interpersonal levels over an extended period of time. So um, that's obviously a lot, but it, but it, I think, gets back to Lisa's point earlier in in the talk, just talking about how how complex this is, and there are no easy answers. So. As we think about next steps, let's think about, okay, broadly, what does that mean? Um, and also, are there specific next steps that we can kind of agree we can, we can take um, in the process? So any ideas about that? Well, one very, very, very concrete next step that we probably need to consider is actually collecting data on the race of study participants and um, uh, people implementing TSW, because I believe with the, you know, uh, with the waiver of the IRB and the, you know, uh, statement that we weren't collecting, you know, identifying information, that um, all we were collecting was information about numbers of consumers like enrolled and, and various work outcomes, but I don't think that we had actually proposed to collect uh, uh, information on, on race of either uh, implementers or uh, people receiving the program. That's great, Kim. You gotta start somewhere, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's We won't know the inequities if we don't. Yeah. Right. That's it. Vasuda and Zlatka, I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about this. Um, just what Kim said, that we can do it. It just means changing the protocol. So if everyone's open to doing it, then we can do it. If you wait for everyone, you won't do it. <laughs> everyone on the project needs to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a leadership we, moment, Vasuda. <laughs> if we can do it, I think it sounds like a good idea. Um, can I say something um, else? Or? Uh, John has his hand up if you, um, sure. and then, I'm sorry, John, you're muted. I'm wondering too, if you thought about possibly having this discussion with the trainees to see what kind of information would, you know, assist them in terms of ensuring that there's more equity in the service delivery, um, more transparency, more accountability in terms of equity. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Thank you. 
Marianne? Uh, that was actually, John, thank you, something, a similar point to the one that I was going to make. It seems to me that concretely, we could have this discussion with the trainees, um, as well as I thought Susan Essex's point about reflecting on who, A, who gets offered, who doesn't get offered, and who misses, who misses out or um, doesn't follow through on some of these appointments for TSW to sort of include this conversation as part of what gets discussed with the person in the TSW protocol might be a concrete way of trying to integrate some of this uh, immediately. I know Susan, what you think about that. Susan McGurk, I mean. About collecting that, I think it's, I, I hope that we can, I hope we do. I think it's a great idea. Great, well, it is four o'clock and, and thanks again, everyone for taking the time out of your day to have this really important discussion for all your ideas. And I hope that uh, other people um, enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Um, and uh, I don't, is there going to be another advisory council meeting or is this the last one? I think we're working on trying to have one if we get the no cost extension next year. Okay, great. So but I just want to say that I thank you, Gretchen, for leading this conversation and suggesting that we have it. And I see this as the beginning of a discussion rather than, you know, the, the definitive discussion. So I want to add my thanks to yours. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thank nice you. Work. Great work, everyone. Bye. 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 Thank Bye. you. Thank you.